Hello, everyone. This is Meet the Masters. Thanks for joining us. This is Tim Watson here. Today, I have the pleasure to be joined by Master Vance Britt. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, chat with me. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Awesome. What I want to talk to you about today was your 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 journey in in the martial arts and all the kind of milestones that came during that time. So if you could just let us know what inspired you to to start the martial arts in the first place? Well, that's a pretty good, good pretty good question. I like it. And basically it's just like a lot of us. Um, I was inspired with the martial arts era of TV, i.e. Bruce Lee. And uh, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. But, of course, I was a younger age at that time and everything. So once I decided that I was going to go in the military, part of uh, my bucket list was if I get the opportunity to learn a martial art, I'm going to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. So I was prematurely introduced to my first duty station in Florida where I met this gentleman from New York. And I was just interested in learning some self-defense techniques. I was just concerned about defending myself. And he showed me some basic wrist locks, some basic blocks, punch bins, nothing very official. Mm -hmm. But he saw within me, I guess, some abilities and everything. So he started gradually, slowly introducing me to more basic techniques and preparations. Now, when I say preparations, you know, I'm talking about the primary thing. Right. Judging. And I played football the majority of my life and everything up to that point. So I was very, very, very tight. <laughs> and uh, he helped loosen me up a little bit. But not knowing to me, later on, I would take a big dip into it. So um, he encouraged me by saying, you know what, you have a uh, capacity to learn this. I never forgot that he told, told, told me that. So my first duty over, overseas assignment was in Thailand. And there was a boxing club on the base. So I said, I'll kind of do a little more in my self-defense preparation to learn how to box. But in Thailand, they have kickboxing, Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes go to the Muay Thai that would sometimes be off base. And uh, I saw the, the combinations of using your hands and your feet. And at the same time, on the base, there was a taekwondo school. But I didn't know at that time that martial arts was international. And I said, Thailand, taekwondo, eh, that must not be the real deal. So I didn't, I didn't enroll. When I left Thailand, I was sent then to... Dover, Delaware, and there was a guy there who was teaching Taekwondo, no, I'm talking about Taekwondo, but Tung Sudo, and uh, I told him about my background in boxing and so on and so forth and everything, so I started taking classes and came up to a level of green belt, went to my first tournament, and uh, I was disqualified because I punched a guy in the face, <laughs> thinking that he was going to use some Kung Fu techniques for me because he was in an all black uniform and he started doing these movements and everything that I've seen on TV. I'm like, oh, no, you don't. 
<laughs> and I and I uh, got disqualified. And while we were on base working out one day, guy came over from another system, Taekwondo system, and showed us some techniques and everything. And I started seeing similarities. Still unaware that this thing was universal. Mm-hmm. And from there, I wanted to go back overseas, so I ended up going to Korea. And I said, this is it. <laughs> no fans <laughs> and buts about it. I was in Korea three days, and I was in the karate class. And the class that I decided to take was Tong Sudo. Okay. I told him about my background and everything. Told him I was, you know, previously in uh, a Tong Sudo class. And he said, uh, what style of Tong Sudo? I said, I don't know. Because the guy never told us about style. He only said, it's Taekwondo or Tong Sudo. You know, he, he didn't really make it that, that clear. Yeah. So he said, uh, let me show you something. And he got on the floor. And he did, at that time, it was called Kicho Hong Ilbu. Right. Not Sege, but Kicho Hong, the Mudokwan system. And I had never, ever seen anyone move with power, grace, and ability like that. I said, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and I continued, and I worked hard. But it was a struggle because I was not in real good condition for martial arts, primarily bare feet. I never walked barefoot. I was, no, 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 no. That's not for me. And I would come home nights. The bottom of my toes would be split a little bit. My ankles were hurt. My knees were hurt. And I got into this little routine that when I would leave the functional class, they had a uh, massage parlor on base. Mm. Straight up to the massage parlor would go. Put me in this little <laughs> cubicle thing, steam me down, and then I would get a massage. And I had to do that because I had to survive. I was My body was torn up. Right. But within a period of a month and a month and a half, my body started coming around. My feet started getting a little more stronger and everything. And uh, acquired the level of green belt. But I got to tell you this. It was funny because <clears throat> I was noticing the pecking order of people in class and how the black belt, of course, we you know, high, high rank and everything. Right. And everybody was paying homage to them. You know, I'm like, let's forget that. They're human just like I am. They're a man just like I am. <laughs> Not understanding the the, the rank structure. So I would talk trash to the black belts <laughs> all the time. You wait till I become a green belt. You wait until I become a red I'm a beat show, you know what? You know? <laughs> and they would look at me like, who is this guy? Everybody like, oh, he just came from over from the United States. He doesn't know. So somebody needs to teach him a lesson. I said, well, you teach me a lesson. You be the one. And I'm going to show you what I know. So I was kind of basing it on my background with boxing. I know I could use my hands good, right? So <laughs> the very first time I was able to do a sparring session, I'm out there, and the black belt was like, I'm going to do something to you that ain't never been done to you before. <laughs> so he's, he's gearing up. I see it in his eyes. I'm like, oh, no, you don't. And I start moving around like Muhammad Ali, dancing moving around. So all of a sudden, we hear these three thunderous claps in the background. Wow, wow, wow. 
everybody froze. Anjo. I didn't know what Anjo meant at that time, but I saw everybody sitting down, so I guess that nigga sit down. We sit down. Korean master comes back out. His name was Kim Tong Moon. And he said, in broken English, in Tong Sudo, we don't run around like chickens. We fight like men. And the whole time he said it, he never looked at me. I don't know he was talking to me. Ooh, I was bubbling like you nobody's business. So that was that one session. Okay. We started going through the bases and everything. And after a point in time, I got bored with blocks and punches and kicking techniques for warm. I just wanted to spar. <clears throat> so I would come to class after they do all the preliminaries and go in there just enough to get warmed up and start sparring. And he noticed that. So one night, he sparred with the class and everything earlier, and then in reverse, did the blocks and punches before. So I'm like, oh, man. What's up with that? He said, you don't like this? I said, no, I, I, I want to know how to fight. He said, you want to know how to fight? I said, I want to know how to fight. He said, okay, you fight me. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> All right, you're a man like I'm a man. So we get out there and everything, and I'm moving around, and I had pretty nice agility, and I had enough common sense knowing not to rush in on because I'd seen how he inspired other people and would set them up. I said, oh, you know, set me up like that. <laughs> so... I don't know how he positioned me, and he never told me about the position. He just told me how to not get into that position where I got into later. And he hit me with a spinning back kick in my left most muscular part of my hip. My entire left leg went numb. I thought to myself, if he had brought that kick up a couple inches higher, that would have been my lower floating ribs, and I would probably have broken ribs right now. Mm. If he had moved that kick over, that would have been my spine. He might have broken my spine. And I said, okay, I think it's time for me to pick another level of understanding of what this thing martial arts is all about. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, what, 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 how do you defend against that? He said, well, you see the person doing the same technique. You come in at the an angle, and you move quickly. You move slow, you get hit. You move quickly, and they, you go past them, and they look, they are kicking offline. And I practiced. Now, he didn't know I practiced because I would anything that I learned in class I would, after afterwards, I would go ahead and practice by myself and stuff. The next time we sparred, I saw him setting up for it. I said, oh, here it comes. And when he went to throw the technique, I sidestepped it, and he missed me completely. He said, oh, good, pretty good. I can never do it again. So I took those experiences and everything, eventually got my black belt, came back to the States. Now I wanted to say, what do I want to do with this? So I decided that the best way to, to stay good with it is to teach it. And so before I started teaching, I, I really worked out long and hard because I wanted to be a good instructor based on the way I was instructed. And that was pretty much the way that things got started. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next thing you know, one thing led to another. Wow. Um, there's so much to unpack there. What I, I really want to talk about just a little bit is the fact that 
back then where you didn't have the internet, you didn't have, you know, things that let, let you know what was out there. It was kind of martial arts. Like you said, you weren't sure what Taekwondo was, or, you know, you saw Muay Thai and you thought that that was the thing. Like, it's just uh, to, to know all the information that we do now. And just to think not that long ago, uh, a lot of it was kind of a mystery to most of the world. <laughs> right. That's uh, it's interesting. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, when, when you decided to teach, where, where was the, where was the first, were you in New Jersey? Yeah, I had that time I've been stationed to um, McGuire Air Force Base. And before leaving Korea, I was told to um, meet at that time Master Shen, who was uh, at Trenton. And uh, I researched the papers, and at the time it was the yellow pages and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, found out where the location was and everything, and I went over to to meet him. Now, while I was in Korea, I learned a lot more about the etiquette and the culture of Koreans and and and, and martial arts and everything. So I was somewhat versed on what to expect and how to conduct myself. So I met, met him and everything and uh, went into the office. I bowed and uh, he asked me to take a seat. And I then went on to explain who my instructor was and my level of, of my rank and everything and that I wanted permission to start a school at McGuire Air Force Base. And the funny thing about me and Grandmaster Shin for the very first time like that, he never looked at me. He never made eye contact. So I thought, uh, I was aware that Koreans sometimes use their peripheral vision uh, in such a way that you don't think they're paying you any attention, but they're looking at you directly and checking everything out that you did. So I never took my eye off of him. And so we went on discussing everything and, he listened to what I had to say and everything. So he agreed that I could start a school and that uh, I would also have to continue my training at the Burlington School in New Jersey, where he initially started, um, you know, teaching in Burlington, in, in New Jersey. Right. Under, under a Korean master that I had become a, a, acquainted with when I was in Korea. And so uh, I was taking class in New Jersey and uh, Burlington and teaching class on the base. <laughs> and that was the start of it. But at that time, we were not the World Tungsudo Association. We were still affiliated with the United States Tungsudo Federation. And that's how that came about. Gotcha. What was what was training like at that location? Were you training one, you know, two hours per class, or basically whatever they said? Uh, yeah, it was two hours, sometimes two and a half hours, and sometimes you could fail uh, over a little bit, which I would do from time to time. Mm -hmm. And the training was pretty much traditional in the sense that I had learned in Korea. Um, 
But I knew this guy in Korea, and he didn't train as thorough, in my opinion, as I had been trained in Korea. And there was a little rival between his school and our school on base. His school was downtown, gotcha. and our school was on the base. And I guess it was a little bit of military pride and everything like that. We figured it out. We felt that our school was stronger and better and everything like that. So we didn't we didn't go head to heads or nothing like that. But um, I I was aware of him. So things that he was telling. The students that didn't know any better, I knew better. No. But I didn't, you know, try to show out or anything. I to like say, no, you're wrong. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. I didn't do any of that because, again, like I said, I had learned the proper protocols and etiquette in the class and such. But people would see me do techniques and how I would do my forms versus how he was teaching them how to do their forms, and they were coming to me and questioning me why do you do that slightly different? And I would only explain to them what I had been explained, had been explained to me. And it made sense. And it had its places like everything does, you know, right. later on years after come to find out that was just the way of the martial arts period. Right. You know, opinions. And so, um, I grew, I, I, I got my second degree black belt with, with him and everything. And he was starting to see my growth and everything. So he said, you know what, now it's time for you to, to to move on. And I was like, are you kicking me out of the school? He said, no, I'm not kicking out of school, but you're growing to a capacity. You need to know more. And that's all he said, just like that. So, okay, I need to know more. So <clears throat> around that time, we were starting to develop the World Tongue Sudo Association. So being almost a partial part of that because he knew Grandmaster Shin and actually Grandmaster Shin had placed him in his old school. Right. But when the shift came over, I automatically became a part of that. So in 82, when we had the uh, convention, I was there because of being indirectly a part of it. And that how, that's how I became a, a charter member easierly easier than some other people that you know came along I didn't really know or had to kind of get a picture of what's this new martial art association. I already knew because I was very deaf in the very beginning of everything. Hmm. So that, that's how that came about. Interesting. Well, did the way Grandmaster Shin taught or Master Shin back then, was that more, was his Mindset more along the lines of what you originally learned Ooh. in Korea. Please, <laughs> I was, let me tell you, that's the reason I stayed with the World Central Association so long. Yeah. Grandmaster Shin had been taught by Grandmaster Wang Ki. Right. And I met Grandmaster Wang Ki when I was a green belt at my first test, and he was at my black belt test when I was in Korea. So the literature of technique and philosophy with Grandmaster Shin was damn sight on. Mm. And like I said, when I met him in Trenton and told him who my instructor was, he said, yes, I know him. And he said it with such, you know, like, you know, that's no big deal. I was like, what? Because I thought, like, you know, fit to be black belt. But later on, I come to find out why he said it like he did, because 
And after he had taught my instructor, I was like, wait a minute, whoa, <laughs> that's Oh, I didn't know, and a, and a lot of instructors that didn't even know it and everything. So yeah, his, his techniques were sight on. And then in addition to that, his philosophy of what he was going to do with the association, he made no bones about it. He let all of us know, this is where we're going. This is the direction of the association. And he didn't say in any direct way, you need to be a part of this. It was like, if you want to be a part of it, you can. And you make the choice. And all of us saw, this is a direction that we wanted. So if you ask any of the, so where well, we're not so we are, any of the old heads, Master Vaughn, Master Godwin, Master Sharp, Master Khan, any of these guys that were up there in the high echelon, Master Stein, Master DeBarco, Master DeCole, any of us, you ask any of us, all of us will fight on the same way, you know? We want to be a part of this. Where can we help? How can we be a part of it? And that's how things went on and everything. So technique-wise, I would go to class over there and would be occasionally because another thing that was interesting that I didn't realize that I was following in the right way was I was being periodically assigned other masters once I had made second-degree black belt. So once I went from second to third, I was then introduced to Master Yi, mm -hmm. who had a school in um, Pensacola. <clears throat> from Master Yi, I then was introduced to Master Irwin, who was the assistant instructor in Trenton with Grandmaster Shin. Okay? okay. And then when I was testing for my fourth degree black belt on my master's rank, all of them were on the board. I go, whoa. <laughs> he knows things about me. He knows things about me. He knows things. But what I didn't know was Grandmaster Shin had asked all of them things about me as well, which I come to find out later was the proper protocol of achievement to master. You had to be sponsored or mentored by other masters get a full picture of your abilities and skills. And I was like, oh, so this is how that worked. Now, that was the most traditional way. Mm -hmm. And by me being a part of that and all the others as well, we understood that. So when the association then was formed, and we eventually got to the point of forming the, the board of directors and all those things of nature like that, that was our way of the traditional situation of promotions being sort of passed on. And uh, again, that was how we were developed. So his philosophy didn't just come from him. It came from others who he had passed on and they had sort of seen their approach towards it and passed it on and passed it on. So you got a better and better understanding of how the tradition should be and be should main, be maintained. Right. You know, it's interesting. I've I've had a chance. A lot of those names that you said, Master Tabaka, Master Stein, Master Godwin, Master Sharp, uh, I, I, Master Khan. I've talked to all of them, and they all 
most of them pretty much knew when they met Grandmaster Shin that like, oh, this guy's the real deal. And, you know, mm-hmm. I want to be a part of whatever he's doing. So I, I, you know, I'm not surprised that you had that same reaction. And it, it was one of the reasons why I like doing these interviews because we have a, a now, sadly, a generation of black belts who uh, were, were not around when Grandmaster Shin was here. I mean, obviously, we, right. we try to uphold his legacy and his philosophy, but, you know, none of us are, are him. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the charter convention. What was the feeling like going into before it and, and you know, the, when it was there? Did, did you have an idea of of what it was going to become or, or the potential? Well, you know, um, I was initially just excited to be around so many martial artists. And I looked at it as a opportunity to train with other people that I've never met before and to understand what our connection was. I had never been to a convention before in a, in a sense like that. Mm-hmm. And I listened to what the guidelines and projections are going to be as far as the, the belts and the logo. Um, obviously, later years on, when I started teaching and really getting deeper into the philosophies of the logo and everything, it became more clear of what was taking place that day and uh, how those things were setting the foundation for our association. But me personally, I was just excited to, to, to rub elbows with people that I've never seen before, never never met before from other places, mm-hmm. find out their backgrounds and such and everything that makes it like that. And that's exactly what a lot of that did because we were able to, in conversation, um, Pretty much everybody was saying the same thing. Who's your instructor? Who taught you? Where did you learn this? Where did you learn that? What did you learn? Da, 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 da. What you think about this? You... And so a lot of friendships were started at the convention and have maintained throughout those years. Uh, some were a little on the odd side, <laughs> but it takes all to make, you know, to make the thing work. Right. And everything. So, uh, another thing that exciting was learning new forms. So, there was an opportunity to advance because at, at one point in time, certain things, and I knew this because I trained in Korea, certain things were not taught to Americans because, you know, you always, as American, you were only supposed to learn at a certain level, and the other things were too traditional and, oh, no, 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 you can't have that. But here was Grandmaster Shane opening the door and said, no, I'm going to teach my students things that they need to know about the tradition of the art mm-hmm. of Kung Fu. So the introduction of the bong form, let me tell you, man, I had never worked with a bong <laughs> that much. I mean, I had some introduction with the bong and the bong that we were the drum handles. And that <laughs> bong. <laughs> <laughs> And we worked with that bong 
so much that weekend where you grip the bong with your with your fist and everything, your hands, the forefinger inside and the thumb, inside of the thumb, was raw. And when I tell you raw, I'm talking about skin peeling off, <sighs> flesh showing, bleeding, blistering, painful. People had Band-Aids, tape, Vaseline, <laughs> all <laughs> kind of things to try to remedy the with the bones. But guess what? But it was still doing it. Everybody was still hungry to learn them bone forms. And then some of the higher level hungs were shown. And, you know, it was a thing back then, if you could learn a hung in one or two settings, you felt yourself to be elite, which is really not the way it was supposed to be done. Right. But then we were in a piece, and then somebody would say, okay, you learned this part, and I'm going to concentrate on that. When they go to the next part, you learn this part. And you concentrate that, and then we're going to get together and combine those parts, and then we'll have that part as a piece. And we'll learn the hungs like this by, you know, teamwork right. and everything. Right? And then you would go back and you would stay in contact. You know, what do you do? I forgot that part. Well, how do you do this thing? And there was that communication. It was amazing. I mean, years later, we talked about it like, how do we become so close? <laughs> this is one grandmaster shouldn't made that close inside that with, you know, Getting us to understand that's okay to share right. and to talk and relate. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. And that's what that was. So all those things put together like that and that camaraderie and, 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 and just the pureness of building something from the ground up, it was great. Yeah, it seemed like he was very good at building relationships and building that camaraderie with, and, and really kind of solidifying a group as brothers and sisters in, in what we do. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I still I feel like... One event. Hmm? Go ahead. I recall one event, he was bringing in some people into the association. And again, this is another example of um, long life um, friendship and, and camaraderie. He was bringing in uh, a gentleman from Texas, uh, a gentleman from Australia. I think it was, I think it was Australia, but I'm not absolutely sure. Any account, we had dinner together after training. We had dinner, and uh, we, we we were having a Korean meal, and he knew I had background in the Korean um, way to eat food, kimchi and bulgogi and stuff and things like that. And these guys are like, but when you see someone eating and enjoying and having a good time, you kind of break your inhibitions down and you go for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, we were eating the bulgogi and everything. And I remember him telling them, listen, this is the way you eat this kind of food, and he got a leaf of uh, of lettuce, put the bagogi in, put a little bit of spice, a little bit of rice, made a little package, okay, and shoved it in the side of his jaw, and everybody went, what? And I was like, yeah, that's the way it's done, it's good like that, and they went, okay, and everybody did it, and we started eating, and we're laughing, and we're drinking, 
He broke the ice. Mm. He broke the inhibitions. He broke down little things that people go, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. He <laughs> had that way of breaking that down like that. And once you felt like you were a part of that, it was great. Right. So, you're right. He had that ability. Sure. That's awesome. Wow. I'm sure you had the opportunity, like you said, to, to train with lots of people. But one of the, one of the guys, like even when I was coming up, who was kind of like a living legend to me was was Master Chambliss. Mm-hmm. He just had, he just has a aura about him. Um, can you maybe talk talk about him a little bit and share some stories about him. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you the best. I, I trained with a, a little. I mean, we would always train once the uh, association developed and Grandmaster developed the Region Eight instructors class. We would train once a month, and we would all train together like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just training. And he would always outwork all of us all <laughs> the time. We were we would be huffing the puppy. He's still over there just doing his thing. <laughs> But there were so many little things that I learned from him, directly and indirectly, that was so valuable. You know, to this day, I'm so thankful that I was able to have him as a mentor as well. The first one was once I had made master, <laughs> I felt I was his equal. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going over to the grand uh, to the headquarters of Philadelphia, and I meet him. He's going over to say that, and I said his first name, Steve, not Master Chandler, but like we've been old buddies for a long time. And he said, "Master Brett, you." I'm always Master Chambers in a very calm voice like that. Man, you want to talk about a feeling. (laughs) 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 The way he said it, not excitable, not upset, but to the point. You could hear in between the lines, don't you ever. As long as you live. But Steve in your mouth again towards me. But none of that was said. It was just Master Britt. You are Master Chapman. And I bowed about 15,000 times. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and I never forgot that, right? Right. So the next time, the next time, here it goes in a different direction. We had a tournament, and one 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 of the black belts kind of showed a little bit of disrespect to me, and I replied to him in a very threatening way. And he overheard that. He pulled me to the side and said, "Master Brett, um, I heard what the black belt said, and he was wrong. But you got to understand, you have to be a bigger man than him." in regards to because you're a master and uh, not take away his power of growing. And I'm not telling you to go and apologize. 
I don't think that's really what it's all about, but you know you can find a way to go and talk to him to let him know um, what you were actually trying to say that will help him. I thought about for that about a second. I was like, "Wow, that is so right." Thank you. And I found the time and went over to the guy and talked to him and explained to him that the way that I come off, I didn't mean to sound like what it sounded like, and that I was, I should have just simply said, "There's a better way of approaching a master than the way that you did." And by me going back and saying that to him, he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. And so from his example of that, again, helped me to hold, in some people's eyes, the stream of difference, you know. And I've always thanked him for that because he didn't have to do that. He could just let that situation be whatever. But again, he didn't do that. So tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. Um, I've seen him humiliate in the most acceptable way that a person could be humiliated. A young black girl challenged him to, to spy, and everybody went, throw time. <laughs> but he, he thought to himself, the same, basically the same thing he had told me. I'm going to show this guy that he's not who you think he is, but I don't want to destroy him. He said, listen, um, we're not going to do any kicks. We'll just do punches to the body. Is that okay with you? He's like, sure. You know, I was like, hmm. <laughs> so they started moving around everything. Every time the guy would move out of position, Master Chalice would connect to his body be the reverse punch or hook in that nature like that. But I mean, short, swift kind of hits, right? And he wouldn't like double up, da, 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 da. It was just singular. You moved wrong, plant. You're out of position, plant. Should have kept your elbow up, plant. And I'm, li- I'm sitting there with my arms crossed watching. When is this guy going to realize <laughs> <laughs> that he is getting authorized. He just wants more punishment. So after a point in time, Master Chambers realized that, you know, this guy was just going to not get the point. He said, okay, that, that's enough for us right now. And you can see in the guy's eyes, like, thank you. <laughs> but again, it was like, did it in such a masterful way that there was no repercussions by it. There was no ill feeling by it. It was like, I think I shouldn't have done that kind of thing. And I'm like, you're right. You shouldn't have. <laughs> now, I had seen that same thing. I had seen that same example in Korea with Michael, or my master, when it was Black Belt had returned and felt that he was all that. So he wanted to challenge his master and start to explore it. I said, oh, I'm not leaving here. I got to see this. <laughs> and they bowed and everything. And my chief instructor, as we call it at the time, we just said master, so we were the chief instructor because it was already the master. 
bounced him off the walls of the dojo because we had we, we had a dojo in sort of like a Quonset hut. I don't mm-hmm. even know what that is, but it's like a yeah. semi-round building. He right. bounced him off the walls. Knocked him down, picked him up, beat him up, everything. And at the end, when he fouled, he said, thank you, sir. Ooh, it took every, I was biting my hand. I was pushing cloth down my mouth and she, she was trying to laugh out so loud. Because I, he, I recognized, and I know he recognized, that he had stepped way out of bounds. And I said, I will never. <laughs> <laughs> Never challenge my superior to anything of that nature like that. Never, ever, never, never, never. So, again, that tradition, see, and that was a, a teaching of Grandmaster Shed to one of his other students, to another student, and, and coming down to me. I was like, okay, I can't forget to know when to do these things correctly and properly. And there have been times when I did those kind of things as well, also. But at Grandmaster, I mean, our Master Chamlet's. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a great guy. He is a great guy. And uh, a lot of skills, a lot of levels of learning that he gave, gave me. Yeah, yeah he's, I, I think he's the like the epitome of, of leading by example. Because like you said, he he could have trounced that guy and, and you know, embarrassed oh, him. But I think that, it sounds like that he not only could that did that guy possibly learn a lesson, but anyone watching learned a lesson on how to conduct yourself in a respectful way when someone uh, yeah. tries to challenge you. So that's a great story. Yeah. He gained more in doing it that way than losing. Because if he had knocked the guy out or really, really trashed him, then they'd all be like, ah, oh, he's a master. He's supposed to. He got to have his ability in it. Yeah, he didn't do anything in that glory. So he maintained the, the dignity of being a master. See, being a master, a lot of people, you know, for a while, thought it was, some of them still do, maybe, I'm not sure. I think it's just a privilege. It's not a privilege. It's, you have to earn it. The traditional method of becoming a master was to earn things. Grandma used to tell me all the time when uh, I was the master's candidate co- coordinator. Master Big, don't ever forget to instruct them on what is a master. That a master is an elite, an outstanding, above, above, serious. And when I would teach a class, I would always throw it in there, really kind of blunt and not really highlighting. The other things I would kind of highlight and put little, little asterisks on and everything so everybody was like, Ding, I got it. But for that, this is what it is to be a master. Bam, you know, that kind of thing like that. So, yeah. You want to see great at that. Since you mentioned it, maybe we can talk about your your time being the, the conductor coordinator for the candidates at Master's Clinic and maybe how that came about and uh, some of your experiences doing that for however, how long was it? When I saw that question, I was like, ooh. I know, it's a lot to unpack. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, really what happened was the initial uh, master's camp 
I was in uh, 1989. 89. And unfortunately, I was overseas at the time um, and was unable to attend it. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they they developed the uh, different um, um, programs, regional program director, uh, people responsible for uh, finances, all the different uh, offices that came under Grandmaster Shen. He was diversifying his office and his position and his responsibilities. And so the next year, um, I was able to attend. And uh, I I spoke to him. I said, "Sir, you know, last year I wasn't here able to throw my 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 head in the in the, in the race for any of these positions, but I want to make a contribution." He said, "Well, what what do you want to do?" I said, "Well, I have some skills and abilities in teaching leadership and management, and um, I can put together a little presentation for the." people that are going to be testing to understand what their future responsibilities will be. Not knowing that that's the right in his, his well box, because, you know, he'll be able to be in academia mm-hmm. and having a, a, a background and everything. He was like, well, let me see what you can do. So the experience came from me being a military instructor for leadership and management. They sent me to school for it and everything, and I taught in military academies. Where I took that format of the military and downgraded it, obviously, you know, we didn't have to salute each other in the uniform, but we do because we bow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the same as a salute. And the uniform is the uniform, so respecting the uniform. So I said, well, you know, I can throw all, almost everything that I t- teach on a normal basis into this paramilitary organization and color it towards more of what we need. So I put together a, a format and uh, a lesson plan for myself and uh, put it on a, a basis of knowing that after a certain amount of time, the brain turns off and kept it kind of light and lively and throw some jokes in there and everything that they like that because that's my ability, you know, that's my, my my gift of making learning fun and everything, and uh, made the first presentation. And he saw it, and he said, I like that. Do it again. Now, I had known from that point, anytime he appointed you to something, he always wanted to see not just what the same thing you did before, but a little achievement each time, a little growth each time. So each time I would take a look at the students, the people. And we had already kind of set up there, okay, they have to do it twice. Because one time is not enough. I only get maybe a couple of hours, and that's not enough for an entire year. So we need to do it twice. And that came about in the same manner. Because they wanted to see their technical abilities as well. So that gave me a perfect opportunity to increase what they did the first year, add it to the second year. Great, no problem. So I did just that. You know, I reviewed what was done first and then came back to add a few other things. And the one thing that really impressed him 
was that I prepared a little test of their knowledge of tongues of all. And I premised it by saying, you're going to become masters. And once you become a master, because he had told me, don't say they are masters. I don't know that they are preparing to be masters. I said, you're going to become masters. And how would you feel if your white belt asked you a question that you can answer? And every time I would say that, you would get those looks. And one guy tried to, you know, talk around it. I said, you know, that's the one thing don't ever want to do. Mm. He said, what's that? I said, you don't ever want to try to con the students now. You know me now. I talk straight from the hip. Mm. And everybody was like, ooh. I'm like, yeah, what you mean, ooh? Why would you want to con your student? What are you passing on? The con? Are you trying to pass on technology? Techniques, knowledge. Mm. So now they go back. And you know what happens? Man, we had this class, and this guy, Master Britt, was talking this and talking. I never heard this stuff like this before. And I really wanted to. And he gave us a test. How you doing the test? I failed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you knew Tonga. I thought I did too. But he gave us the steps and he gave us the answers after and he told us what the answers were in the book. And I looked in the book and it was in the book. But I never seen it in the book. And I told Dad I said, I'm gonna do this because number one, I'm gonna make the test as difficult as I can so he can't pass. He said, Why is that? I said, make her read the book. Because if they pass the test, they feel like they already know what's in the book. They're not going to read it anymore. They're going to just go put it off on the side. He said, oh, I like that. I said, but if I find little pieces and bits in the book that people look over, but it's still just as important, you know, like what's the meaning of this or how old is this and how do you say this, then those things stick out. And you go back over and you go like, Oh, he was right. Oh, he was right. And so all of a sudden you find yourself going deeper and deeper into it. And that's what I did. And it and it started working. So by the third candidate class, the word had gotten out. Oh, Master Master Britt, in that class, because you'll find yourself in a bucket. Right? <laughs> and the bucket meant <laughs> I would make you do push ups, I would do all kind of things, I would scream at you. And that was, again, a part of that military attitude of you think you know, you don't know. I'm going to break you down, and I'm going to build you back up and everything like that. So the word had gotten out. So physically, I could see, yeah, they do. These guys are ready to go to war. No big deal. But what about that mental aspect? Where's that head at? Mm. So I remember the, the class that we were in Alabama. And I was riding on the bus with the candidates. I had the choice of riding on the other bus. I said, no, 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 I'm going to stay with the candidates because I know how students can be. <laughs> so if I'm there, that's going to kind of put them in check. So they saw me on the bus and said, ooh, here's our opportunity. We can get into his head and find out what's on the test. And let me tell you, they started drilling me like you wouldn't know. 
uh, Master Brick, according to page 114 in chapter 7, so isn't it that this is supposed to be this? I'm like, hmm. Oh, yeah, I recall that. Everybody, yeah, yeah, we're going to get an answer, we're going to get an answer. I said, yeah, I recall that. And that's why you should study it again to make sure that you really know it. Huh? Answer. (laughs) (laughs) And then cap on. What about if you say this word, but you really mean to say that word? Oh, that's not bad, but that wouldn't be correct, would it? No, it wouldn't. So why are you asking me? No answer. Nothing, but they drill and drill and drill. This one student had put together flashcards. Said, Take a look at these cards that I need. Don't you think they're cool? I went, oh, you don't know these words already? Person said, yes. I said, okay, good, yeah, they're good. You know them already. Not our approval of saying, yes, we can do this different. I mean, they just went on and on and try to find a weak link in my chain. Um, stop playing. Don't do it like that. You know? And then the next class after that one, I actually had forgotten that I wanted them to give me their essays in the beginning, you know, of the, of the training so I could read them and give it back to them and let them know yes, no, indifferent. So, they had taken a test. We had got back for the physical test about, I guess, 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, you guys are passing essays. What essays? I say the essays that you're supposed to pass in, 500 words of your choice of martial arts or something about the martial arts, which was a way of getting them to kind of focus on what their um, eventual essay was going to be. So I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh, no, 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 you got to pass those in. I want them by in the morning. Now, I took that from a craft course that I had to take in college <laughs> that I blew it. I went out partying. But guess hmm. what? Pushed against the, the, the wall, I got it done. Right. And I said to them, you're a master. And you're standing in front of that class at an, as an elite individual, the leader. You're going to make excuses about things that you should have taken care of and that's behind you, and you don't have the ability to better than that? If you're in the ring, fine. And this guy has one point over you, and there's 30 seconds left. You need to tell me you can't find the eliteness of yourself to get that point to either tie it up or win? Then that's the same thing as this. And those cats went back to the dormitory. Knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. So wait a minute. This is kind of in rhythm. They planned it. Mm-hmm. You made us stay home, right? They're going to make you stay Oh, my goodness. So the next day, we you know, our bank was in the return. I walked out said, Okay, uh, that was very good. I mean, you stay up all night with writers. You kept me up all night reading. Didn't everybody laughed at all? It was so good. It was so funny. But yeah, that was that was a couple of kind of things there like that, you know. But uh, there there was some great times with the with the candidates, man. Great times. Uh, one other time, I had advanced 
so many times over the years. I did it for almost 25 years. And, uh, of course, I had learned other advanced teaching techniques as well, also and everything. So the era of time, we were kind of right in the middle of it as well. So all of a sudden, this is the era of teamwork. Everything was team this, team that, team. But military had been doing team stuff for years and years and years. I had gone to a team um, leadership thing long before then, you know, mm-hmm. and everything. So I incorporated that with the personal candidates um, program. And uh, it was to show that even though we're masters or you're going to become a master, you're still a human being. And you have sensitivities, and others have sensitivities and limits. And understanding your limits and your, your sensitivity is only being human. One of the techniques was you sit in front of your your your, your classmates, and you have two minutes to explain who you were. Your likes, dislikes, <clears throat> things that need importance, and so on, so on, so on. And the person listening could interrupt. They could only listen for two minutes. And a lot of people didn't realize when you just listen for two minutes how much you can really learn. And some people didn't know that sometimes two minutes is a long time to talk about yourself. And the end of two minutes, you flip it over. But before you flip it over, though, the person who was listening had to reflect back to the person who had just told them about themselves. Then you flip it over the person that just hear what them about themselves, had to listen about the person that told them about themselves, and then they reflected back. And then you would rotate. And when you rotate, you talk about a different topic. What was the best thing you ever did mm-hmm. that made you feel like you made an accomplishment? So in a period of 10 minutes, 20 minutes, there's a lot of exchange of information, of sharing, that a lot of times you don't get to really do. And this is a way that I was saying, we're all in this together. And we have things that we can see. A lot of other friendships and developments came out of that. Now, why did that resonate with me? Because that's what Grandmaster Shin had done. With a small little group of us initially. And then when he recognized that I had absorbed that and was able to expound it, that's how the position of the coordinator became such an important role in our development of masters and towards the future leadership of our associations. And I think sometimes the things that I did kind of threw them for a loop. Because it would become so uh, personal and sincere that it touched my heart. Mm. And here, everybody had an understanding of me being a big, bad, monster, bad, bully, bad guy. I'd be crying <laughs> my eyeballs out there because it was so tender. I remember the one master from, from Mexico was speaking. And, I, you know, he was speaking and trying to speak in broken English. I said, no, 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 no. You speak your language and let us know what you want to say in your language in your, from your heart. 
we'll understand it. And he started speaking in Spanish. And for the point of time of him speaking in Spanish, you could hear a rat go to the bathroom on cotton. Everybody was absorbing, not necessarily the words were being said, but the intensity and the sincerity in his voice of how he was saying it. And you understood it. This meant everything to him. This was life to him. And for him to be able to do that and see the people's interest focused on him, again, a, a binding, binding way. So here was an international opening as well also. And so man, there have been, been times and things that went on in those classes. Unbelievable. Yeah, I speaking from personal experience that you know life changing or at least like enlightening and a more a better understanding of of where other people come from because we had those moments where people shared and and they left themselves vulnerable to where, you know, they, they spoke from the heart and, and let you know what being there meant to them. And it was, uh, like you said, it's something that I, I hold on to. And I thank you for fostering that program and, and getting it to the point where it is now. Um, I think it's a, it's an important and a pivotal part of the Like you said, being a master that, transformation from being a follower to a leader. Now, some people teach before master, but um, you understand what I mean by that. <laughs> of course, yes. Obviously, yes. Um, yeah, so we're, believe it or not, we're, we're over an hour. I, I, I want to, uh, you know, be, I, I don't want to keep you too long. Oh no, I got time. Don't worry. About okay, it. I, I have a couple more. Yeah, a couple and more I questions for you. Because I, I, I could, I could be long-winded, but you know, I'm, I'm good. Oh, man, okay, I'm good. This, this therapeutic. Awesome. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk about was um, when I was coming up through the ranks. Most years, you were teaching the sword at Black Belt Clinic. And I know that you talked about learning the bong at, at the charter convention. Where where did the interest and, and love for the, the sword come from? Uh, again, like I said, when I looked at those questions, I'm like, this guy obviously um, did his homework. Those are some of the you know, key things about me that uh, – if you know anything about me and the martial arts and talk to those, the sword became a very, uh, very, very, very important thing for me. And how that came about was, uh, as you well know, we were given the sword form, sort of the cart before the horse kind of thing, backwards. Mm -hmm. And I was there for that. Um, I can't recall the actual year, but Grandmaster Shen was in Alabama, and I was I had gone down there as well. I hadn't been invited there. I kind of like invited myself indirectly there. I had a way about doing that because again, in the military, 
And he said Alabama. I was like, where in Alabama? He said, Montgomery. And Montgomery. That's where I went to school for becoming a military military instructor. I was like, when? <laughs> he told me, I was like, okay, I'm going to surprise you. And I was there. So um, he pulled at that time, and we're still with us, Master um, Hicks off to the side. We were doing a big seminar thing. He pulled him off to the side because he had assigned Master Hicks with learning the sword form from Kutsuwan, and he wanted to see what they could offer us in Tongue Zedong. Now, not knowing at that time that the sword was a traditional weapon for Koreans, that Kutuwan had known that, and that was a part of their training and everything. So he wanted to see how he could uh, adopt what Kutuwan was doing into our association to have a, a fuller traditional background for well, Tongsudo. I just Tongsudo, but well, Tongsudo. Maintaining Korean tradition. So, uh, Master Hicks had trained and he looked at the form. It was just the three of us. We were in, a, in Master Hicks' backyard and it was just the three of us. And he said, okay, let's move some parts around. And I was like, move some parts around. Mm-hmm. You know you could do that. So they started, you know, Master to show him what he was initially showing. He said, well, let's take this part out and put this part in. And this will be more applicable for us. And, and he teased Neil and everything. And Master Hicks was on point because here he had learned the form one way and had to readopt his mind and abilities and skills to do it another way. And that afternoon, what was developed was what we initially had as our first sword form. When I saw that, I was like, and another thing about martial arts, that certain things can be adjusted and adopted to make better or to maintain tradition. Okay, keep that in the back of my mind. So all of us learned the sword form and everything, and all of us had the same complaint. Why in the world would you roll in a sword form? Well, I did anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one of my master theses, I believe it was my sixth, become a sixth dad, was was, was, um, the sword. I couldn't think of anything else. I, I did introduce education in the martial arts. Uh, I had just something else. Something else. So I was kind of running thin on what am I going to talk about now? What will my essay be this time? And it became the sword. So I talked to him and everything. I said, uh, well, one of my intentions are is to take apart the sword form, readapt it to sword one-step techniques. Hmm. Uh, okay, that's that's a concept, that's an idea. He said, but if you're going to do that, you have to make sure that you have an in-depth or 
ground on what the sword is all about, where it came from, blah, 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 blah. A good historical introduction of the sword before you go right straight into the techniques. Just the techniques alone, I'm not going to accept that. I want to see you do some research on the sword. Okay? Fine. So I started researching the sword, Japanese sword, Chinese sword, Korean sword, comparisons, how the sword was made, what are the materials, what was the intent? What was the techniques? Everything. Uh, the terminology. Obviously, Korean terminologies are Korean terminology. I think one time when I was working in the Department of Corrections, we had a Korean gentleman who worked in our American Korean. And I asked him, how do you say low Low, low block with the sword. He said, how the fuck I said, what'd you say? <laughs> he said, how the fuck Low block? He said, yeah, low block. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just dawned on me that you still say low block. If you got a sword in your hand, you say, how the fuck You're not talking about your arms anymore. <laughs> You're talking about with the sword. I said, well, is that more specific where he said we said Jengam Hadabaki? That would be okay. I said, well, I could do all of that. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> so, terminologies, the codes, the codes of conduct, or the codes of conduct in terms of those, very similar. Like, whoa, look at this, you know? All these different things. So I did all that research and everything like this and became very fond of the sword. Took out certain movements from the sword form, applied them to one step as we do for one step hand techniques. You know, low block, reverse punch. Well, what do we teach the students the first thing they do? Low block, reverse punch. Where's the low block reverse punch to the uh, one-step technique? Well, you select the number that we have, and there it is. Where'd it come from? From the basics. So the basic strikes combined together could then form the one-steps. I did 30 of them. Yeah, now you, there can be 30 million of them mm -hmm. because of combinations of how you can do it. But I just wanted to set some precedence, some stages saying, this is how it can be done if you choose to look in this direction. That was my intent. So I, I kind of stayed with the sword and, and enjoyed it and everything and went to a seminar by chance uh, where this guy was teaching sword techniques in Japanese. Now, mind you, we had introduced, we had brought a guy in from a friend of Grand Elster, now to introduce us to the sword and we knew more about the sword than he did because <laughs> all he taught us was how to draw, how he drew how you draw the sword and after a couple of times of drawing the sword you know I mean, you got to be really disciplined and focused which was the whole concept of drawing the sword you know a, a, a thousand times so that the one time that you do it you do it perfect Mm -hmm. You know, so here we are drawing lamps, boom, 
and place by Ampadu, and place by Ampadu, and they start to look around. What mystery can I get into? And draw a bubble. Where's Master Casanova? We get close to the river haircut. He's a boo. Where's Master Bar? And Master Bar, look up on your knee, boo. And you know, we're actually like a bunch of kids in there, you know, but we're still taking it in. But with just a little bit of, what is the relief? So when I take this seminar with this guy, he goes on the same thing again. Okay, this must have some concept. Right? And he's showing us everything. So I said, well, let me kind of take this a step further. I got more research material from DVD, DVDs and started looking at the techniques and applications. I said, well, those techniques are similar to what we already do. And it's not a question of who came first, the chicken or the egg, but the effectiveness of it in the research. In further research, I found that in 1945, when the Japanese occupied Korea, they outlawed weapons in Korea because obviously if you're going to occupy a country, you don't want to have the weapons that could go against you. But they tried to introduce their culture on the Koreans. Koreans always had a culture. Mm-hmm. That's how we develop things like if a Japanese swordsman or samurai is trying to cut your head off, you kneel. And you do a diagonal cut at a forty cut at a forty-five degree angle, this can your head cut off, but you incapacitate your opponent who's trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm looking at all these things. I'm going right, okay. So I start looking at different techniques and kind of putting up compiling them together techniques that I thought would be number one interesting enough so that you wouldn't get into the mode of the way of thinking that we were thinking that the band was splitting. You know, who can I hit upside the head with the with Because mm. <laughs> I'm going to use not a, a live blade, but I'm going to use a blade that, that could be some accidents, you know, because I wanted to feel the realism of it. So I researched and practiced and got everything diagrammed and introduced it at the Bible uh, Clinic and went to success, you know. And then the word caught on. And people want to be over there more and more and more and more and more. And because of the fun learning, it was controlled. It wasn't the students developing the fun. The fun was already incorporated in the technique. And that way, if you're doing the technique, you have fun. You don't have time to make up something or something that's already made up for you. And you learn it at the same time. Bingo. Bingo. Two birds with one stone. Safety and learning and control. Well, maybe there's three birds. And that's how that came about in that manner like that. And so uh, I, I tried to take it a step further, but I wasn't the first to go with the, the cutting. Master White introduced cutting at the Black Belt camps first. Mm-hmm. And it was a little limited and everything. And, I, I, and it did look quite as trolled and everything. And I thought this can be done a little bit better with a little different approach. And so I, I, I took it, you know, a little step further and tried to make it interesting again by using bamboo because uh, the actual mats that you cut, you have to be trained over a period of time to cut them correctly. Uh, so, you know, 
bamboo is like a little thin stick and you still see the results and you felt a level of accomplishment, you know, unless the blade was dulled or you didn't have the bamboo secured correctly a couple of times, both cases came out <laughs> and people were baseball batting the bamboo. They fly over like, whoop, you hit it wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> let's try another way, you know. And But it still became a success and it became safe. And uh, that was Grandmaster Sims' overall uh, uh, awareness and what he wanted. Safe, interesting, and learning. Mm-hmm. And so that's how my sword thing, uh, my interest in the sword came to be. And uh, I made sure that I wasn't stepping on anybody's toes and saying, you don't do it like this, you don't do it like that, it's not like this, not like that. This is another way. This is something that you maybe didn't think of, and then you can incorporate it. So that's what I, I did with that. How many, you, you came up with your own set of one steps? Yes. So how many How many are there in the set? And is there a, a, a place where there, do you have a uh, have a handout or, or somewhere that we could possibly see that, them? Uh, that, that's at the headquarters, supposedly with my, um, my submission of my, uh, Essays. Okay. Um, and it's thirty. Now, over the years, some years, some years back, I saw that someone else had um, attempted, not attempted, but did the same thing. And uh, some of the techniques were similar. So, of course, you're going to have similarities anyway. Sure. But the but the thing with it was, uh, my <clears throat> my material was over twenty years old, so it was okay, you know. Um, but what I basically did was just took the, the first 10, I think, were the first 10 movements of the sword form. And I was, again, my mind thought was reinforce the movements of the form. Hmm. So you're practicing the form and showing a direct or indirect or possible reason why these things are in the form. And then some combinations of those things, as in sparring, as in one step sparring, and some of, some advanced things. Which what is an advancement? More combinations, and I came up with thirty of them. Hmm. I find a lot of times when when you put applications to a form, not just a sword form, but you're just working basic open hand forms and you can give a student an application. I think it solidifies it in their head just that much more. So I, I especially with that, cause it's a, that the first, you know, when it's not the first sword from anymore, but Jango Myung, um, it's a lot to take in. Yeah, <laughs> even, yeah. even in the beginning. Yeah. So I, you know, I appreciate uh, that and I will have to uh, look into getting that information uh, for my for myself and for my students. Hey, I remember um, you're right about the um, uh, information like that, but you got to be careful with interpretation versus application. Sort of speaking in that manner like that. Mm-hmm. When I was trained in Korea. When I was trained in Korea, and uh, the instructor obviously had a, a limitation because of language barriers. 
he couldn't all the time explain certain things in the movements that made to an American any sense. For Koreans, it was simply a point of discipline. This is what I'm showing you. This is what you do. And basically, no questions asked. Mm. Um, later on, obviously, you know, once you, once you become a master, you don't, you shouldn't necessarily challenge it, but you kind of, because you always wonder, what the hell was that about? <laughs> you know? And we would sometimes, among our own little peer groups, go like, why did we do a forward roll in a sword for If I got a sword in my hand, I'm not rolling on the ground. You know, if he's trying to cut at me, uh, I'm not, that, those kind of things like that. So interpretations sometimes start to be developed. Well, I interpret it as this, 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 and this. And I've seen over the years where comparative interpretations of other systems of techniques to supposedly clear the understanding of information is an indirect way of sometimes belittling another system of art mm. to say, well, this is why we do it because we're better, so on and so forth. And that should never be the intent. Right. And so, show the comic, for instance. Kind of shocked me when I found out that a lot of what we do in Tung Sudo is done in Shotokai. And okay, no problem. That's not to say that Shotokai is better or Tung Sudo is better. It's just to say that applications and intent and interpretations are all there differently. Right. You know, a move, a moving beside that is done to show a throw. You didn't see a throw when you did the move because there was nobody behind you and nobody in front of you and nobody in the vicinity to interpretate of the throw. But then when you put a person in a certain position and a throw was accomplished, you go, oh, that's why it's there. But then you learn on later in a real combative situation, that wouldn't necessarily apply. So here, there goes the application versus interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so, as a master, as a master instructor, you have to be aware of that and be able to communicate that so it's not misinformed mm-hmm. or misinterpreted. And that's where that eliteness comes in again. If you don't know, having research, don't care the research, but you want to filter down this information wrongly indifferently, opinionatedly, that's going to cause a problem. It's going to make the student go, what if? And I learned in Korea, you don't ever ask what if. <laughs> it wasn't about <laughs> me. <laughs> but I was like, I'm never going to ask what if because I'll see what the answer is. <laughs> and I had a couple of people ask me what if, and I showed them. You know, And after a while, my students were like, don't say what if in front of him. Don't say what if. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what if. Don't say that for him because he's going to show you what the technique. And I would say, if you ask me what about this or what if, I'm going to show you. <laughs> you may not like the results. Well, you get some knuckleheads, obviously, you know. And I had a second, I was a third of you black belt at the time, and he was a second of you black belt, and he should have known better. 
but he was trying to show me up in front of the students, and I recognized that. But I hadn't been mentored <laughs> by Master Chadwick at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so he grabbed me from behind and turned his body sideways, you know, to show, okay, I said, somebody grab you from behind, move your hips to the left or to the right, straight, straight back with a ridge hand or a knife hand, and you'll connect the groin. And he over there, he's analyzing it. And he said, what about, I said, oh boy, no, he didn't. I said, what about what? He said, what about if somebody grab you and do something different? I said, come in, sure, what you're talking about. I baited him, obviously. He came up and I felt his body turn. I was like, okay, he's turning, so he's opening this to my left. He said, what if somebody grab you like this? I said, well, you simply do this. And the left hand goes straight where his groin was. Bam. Ooh. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Everybody went, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those kind of things, you know, we learn you know, as we progress up and everything and things like that. But, yeah, interpretation of the, your homies and everything are very important. And it helps to clarify a lot of things. Yeah, I agree. That's a, uh, a great, great way to look at it. Um, I want to start to wrap up here. Is there anything else that you would like to to share before we before we finish? Any any other lessons? You, you've shared lots of lessons, and I, I appreciate you doing that. Is there anything else you would like to talk about before we finish up? I thought about that. I was hoping that I would be able to do this. Uh, Constructively enough that it doesn't seem too confusing, so I'm, I'm gonna give it a little go. <laughs> um, tradition. Uh, I sort of noticed that once Grandmaster Sin passed away, that I didn't hear the word used as much. That's not to say that it's still not being used correctly or people not still practicing it. But any opportunity that an instructor, be it a chief, national instructor, whomever, gets to implement tradition of our art, of the martial arts, and it doesn't have to be talking to the welcome to the of the art, the reason why we do it always be um, done. It helps to develop a, a very strong foundation for the student, which to build on. Where did it all come from? It didn't just come from me. It came from way back when, it, you know. Do we have a right or a responsibility to change tradition? Now, people get changed and adapting, adapt, adapting sometimes in a woven together. You can adapt to things. Marines says adapt, diversify, overcome. They got a little creed that they use. That's military. Okay, fine. I understand that. But tradition is the holding on of a way, of a culture that solidifies that culture, keeps that culture solid. We are a culture. Randolph Hashem provided us with that culture. We speak a certain way. We dress a certain way. We act a certain way. You put those things together, that's a culture. So 
in our Tungsudo culture, in our world Tungsudo culture, we have to maintain the founder's belief, his tradition of what he wanted with this organization, even though he's no longer here. And he gave it to enough of us long ago that we've been able to send it out. Our student, Master Johnny Williamson, I'm so very proud of him because I watched him from white belt, six-degree black belt master. I've watched his school for a little small locker <laughs> who are beaming, wonderful, dynamic, dojang with numbers that are just overwhelming. I've watched his growth and knowledge for business and management and communications and wisdom soar. Oh, so proud of him. And he says, oh, that's because of what he watched with me. And I couldn't see it at the time that I was doing it. But I was trying to teach him the culture and the tradition. So I understand how it is today. This is 2021 and how commercialism is important. Don't get me wrong. I had a school. I know that's all about. And I'm not knocking it. But we can't let that override in our association, the overall gift that Grandmaster Shin gave us. We've seen what other organizations have done and what happens to them when they didn't maintain it as well. And I can honestly say our association has survived all that garbage. We have diversified. We have adopted. Mm. Overt showed us that we can still maintain a, a worldwide organization by manners of the technology of today. I am so proud of you guys holding on and maintaining because this old head would have had a problem. <laughs> Zoom class. I have two hands on. Yeah. But you guys have found a way to maintain it and maintain the numbers and maintain the interest. And indirectly, I know the tradition is in there. And I know there are people that are doing it. They might not do it as well as we did it or the way that we did it because we old heads, you know, you don't understand? Roundhouse to the head. Okay, you understand that? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but those, that that foundation is so important to, to develop in the school and the student throughout that we can't, can't cannot throw that away. We got to hold on to that. I know we're doing a good job. I'm watching. I'm still kind of active, even though I'm retired from physically training and teaching and everything. But I keep I keep pads on who's doing what and how things are going. And I'm pleased with it. I'm pleased with it because I'm still a part of it. When, when you say you're a lifetime member, you're a lifetime member. And I'm a lifetime member. The World Talks to the Association is proud of that. I've made my contributions I've done things and I'm so proud of, the least proud that I've been the only recipient of the Master of Death Disaster Award two times consecutive in one year. Nobody can beat that record. I'm the only person that did it. And the second was given to me by the Grand Master. And I said, after that, nobody can beat this record. I want to keep it for me. So that's tradition. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so, uh, if anything, I, I hope you hold on to that. That's important. I think that's a great sentiment and, uh, you know, something that everyone can learn from, like you said, it, it, it's out there. Could it, could it be a little better? Some, yes, for sure. And, uh, you know, that's, that's up to us as instructors to look further into our, our training philosophy, right? Like you, you went for many years, crack that book open and take a deep dive and, and ask yourself the, the tough questions. Like, am I passing on what Grandmaster Shin wants me to do? And am I making him proud? Am I making my instructors proud? So I, I appreciate that, that sentiment. Sir, I want to thank you for joining me. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the, taking the time to talk to me. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. And, uh, I'm happy I got a chance to to chat with you today. Well, I'm so very honored as well. Um, like I said, I've been I've been watching what you've been doing. I've been listening to it and everything. And I said, this guy has got a nice approach. I like this because see, this is uh, something that years later people can look back on and go, oh, I didn't know that was taking place. I didn't know this person knew that. I didn't know. And that's what we need. Right. We need books are great and. We can't get around that, but um, I, the new generation, I think it's the, I don't know if it's the G generation or X generation, one of them, they were about, they were about audio and visual in a little small package. And we got to become accustomed to that. And this is what you, you've already put your hands on. Just like I was an innovator in the preparation of masters, you've become an innovator in the approach of uh, information, and that's important. So kudos to you also. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate the kind words. Well, again, thank you, sir. And uh, I think that I think that's a good wrap up. Um, and I will uh, look forward to talking to you again soon, sir. All right, thank you very much. You have a beautiful day. All right, you too. Tung Su. Tung Su.